sharing insight on leadership, professional growth, and personal effectiveness from world-renowned thought leaders, best-selling authors, and respected experts. This is Great Life, Great Career, brought to you by Franklin Covey. Now your host, Scott Miller. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Great conversation planned today with Jennifer Colosimo. Now, that name might be familiar. We had Jennifer Colosimo on the program about six months ago. She's one of the very few people that have ever co-authored a book with the renowned leadership expert and co-founder of the Franklin Covey Company, Dr. Stephen R. Covey. Jennifer joined us, although not on the topic of the book that she authored with Dr. Covey around um, great work, great career. Her conversation with us a few months ago was really bringing to light all the principles that endured in the seven habits of highly effective people. Jen tutored under Dr. Covey for nearly 20 years prior to his passing about seven years ago this, this summer. And we had Jen in the program. And would you believe that of all of our interviews, hers is the most listened to and most downloaded in podcast format? In fact, this radio program airs every Saturday morning at 8 o'clock Mountain Time here in Salt Lake City, Utah. And each week after that, it pushes out to every podcast platform. So it's kind of hard not to decide to bring back the guest who's had the largest number of downloads globally on the Great Life, Great Career program. I'm your host, Scott Miller. This program is sponsored each week by the Franklin Covey Company. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, I've been privileged to be part of this firm for, gosh, just shy of 25 years now. Every week, I give a shout out to our executive team, to our chairman, Bob Whitman, to our CFO, Steve Young, for underwriting the program. The, the expansion of this program has been so inspiring, incredible, because all of us have common interests, right? We want to leave a legacy. We want to do great work. We want to have a great life. We want our families to have opportunities that we didn't have. And the format of this weekly conversation is all about bringing you inspiring thought leaders and guests around topics that we all find relevant in our lives. Today's topic is going to be all things leadership, specifically for things leadership. Jennifer Colosimo serves as the senior vice president of Franklin Covey. In essence, most of our worldwide sales roll up under Jennifer's stewardship. She reports to the president of the firm and has been in the firm, like I said, for gosh, over two decades. And she's joining us today on the air to talk about what are the four essential roles of leadership? Now, I'm sure there's more than just four, but she's going to spend our time talking about each of these roles around, you know, how do you execute strategy? How do you create a vision? How do you build a high-trust culture where people choose to bring their best, where they choose to enjoy their work? You know, the great adage continues to persist. People don't quit their jobs. They quit their bosses, and they quit their cultures. And if you don't think your people are being poached or approached by everybody on LinkedIn right now for a job, you know, at 3.5% unemployment, every one of your valuable people every day is being approached by a competitor for $8,000 more. And your people will leave for $8,000 more unless they love and respect their leader. And they love and respect their leader because they know their leader loves and respects them. I mean, that may sound like soft or hokey. It's not, people. It is real. People will not leave for eight grand if they feel honored and trusted and empowered, if they're in an environment of trust where they're doing great work with meaningful purpose. These terms are the result of 40 years of Franklin Covey's research. People stay in their roles 
and say no to recruiters because they respect their boss and they work in a high-trust culture that they feel validated in. Can't wait for Jennifer Colosimo to join us this morning talking about the four essential roles of leadership. You're listening to Great Life, Great Career. I'm your host, Scott Miller. We'll be back in just a moment. Did you know Franklin Covey offers complimentary webcasts of its most popular and impactful performance improvement solutions? These live 60-minute webcasts are hosted by a Franklin Covey subject matter expert and demonstrate the concepts, tools, and resources available to you or your organization through Franklin Covey's renowned performance improvement solutions. Visit franklincovey.com today to see a full list of their complimentary webcasts and register for these interactive and informative webcasts. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back. Great life, great career. Our theme today is all things leadership, specifically the four essential roles of leadership, which happens to be Franklin Covey's newest leadership offering, kind of swept the world by storm, launched just about 18 months ago. And our guest today is Franklin Covey's senior vice president, Jennifer Colosimo. We had her on the program about uh, eight months ago, maybe six months ago. And because her podcast version was the highest rated, downloaded, shared, linked, liked, you name it. We invited her back on. Jennifer Colosimo, welcome back to Great Life, Great Career. Thank you, Scott. Honored to be here. Hey, Jim, before I start today, I want to talk a bit about one of Franklin Covey's newest books coming out. It's called Everyone Deserves a Great Manager. Although self-serving as it is, I'm one of the three authors of that book. I've joined with Franklin Covey's chief people officer, Todd Davis, who is a Wall Street Journal bestselling author, and one of your team members, Victoria Roos Olsen, who is a global leadership expert from Sweden, recently at your request and funding, transplanted into Atlanta, Georgia. The three of us have authored this book coming out on October 8th called Everyone Deserves a Great Manager, The Six Critical Practices for Leading a Team. We expect it to be a bestseller. Jen, you've been involved in the design of the book. You have taught the program. You've given keynotes about it. Uh, of these six critical practices, I know one of your passions is the first practice, which is developing a leader's mindset. You and I have talked a lot about one of the most difficult roles of a leader is to move from independent producer to leader. What do you think are some of the pitfalls people fall in when they were the top salesperson and now they become the top sales leader? What is that transition like for people? Why is it so hard? Well, Scott, I think you're tapping into change your role, change your paradigm. It is very difficult for someone, especially what I find is when they are promoted from amongst their peers to lead their peers. Very difficult to get out of the foxhole, if you will, that we were in and we were all doing this the same way and had the same challenges. And now you've got to think about how am I going to lead this team effectively? How am I going to help them get results instead of, you know, I, I use this a lot, uh, in, instead of just being their representative to hire leaders. You know, I don't, we don't need someone to just represent. We need someone to actually lead and manage that group. And that's a different mindset. In fact, you and I have talked about it's also a different skill set. Typically, what makes you the best dental hygienist or digital graphic designer or salesperson, rarely do those, those skills translate into what makes you a great leader. You know, take, for example, a sales performer, someone who's a sales producer. They typically like competition. They like to win. They like significance, right? They like to be in the spotlight. 
And those are none of the skills that make a great leader, are they? They really aren't. And it is a hard transition, a very difficult transition for people to think about achieving the same results through others by building other managers or leaders, the coaching component. Instead, I, I think, and I've seen it a lot in my career, I bet you have as well. As soon as they get promoted, they just start coming to the leader above them with, well, so-and-so thinks this isn't a good idea. And so-and-so thinks this should happen differently. And I'm not able to lead that change. I, that, I don't agree with that change versus, well, we all talked about that change. Then you leave the room and you lead it. You don't go out and question it uh, and represent the challenges that you're having as if you were in your previous role. Jen, you've spent the better part of your 30 years now in the workplace, in the leadership development space, right? You worked at a, at a you know, top consulting company that's well-known. You spent some time in the C-suite, both in our organization and in another stint in another organization. You now are in the C-suite here at the Franklin Covey Company. You've been around this firm in the leadership world for all your career, and you tutored under Dr. Covey, who was arguably you know, the most uh, influential leadership mind of our generation past seven years ago. Right before we get into these four central roles of leadership, what would you say is the biggest legacy that Dr. Covey left with you as you listened, wrote, worked, co-wrote a book with him? What was the impact he had on your own leadership journey? I would say there are two. One that is personal, of course, it's affected me professionally, and one that has changed how I view leadership within an organization. Personally, I think, and, and it was habit one of the seven habits being proactive, the idea of choice is fundamentally life-changing that no matter what happens to you, you have the ability to choose your behavior, what comes out of your mouth. You may get hit with some emotion, but you have the ability to choose. That is, I think, our fundamental human ability. I mean, amazing. And then secondarily, really his emphasis on culture in an organization. And I think you see that as we talk about the four essential roles, culture is a competitive advantage. And Truly, people say, I got it, but then what do I do about right, it? Right. And he had so many ideas in our legacy of leadership and the, and the 30, probably 40 years that we've been in the leadership space at Franklin Covey. Um, he had so much to say about what do you do intentionally to build the culture that creates an engaging environment for your people? Because you have a culture. Oh, yeah. It's just either been abandoned, it's happened accidentally, or you have deliberately built the culture that you want. Let's talk today about the four essential roles of leadership. Jen, I mentioned you've been in the firm for a long time, and you've seen almost all of the leadership offerings that Franklin Covey has built to become the world phenom that we are. Let's take a bit of a retrospective, and then we'll, then we'll, we'll back into what are now the four essential roles of leadership, which are inspire trust, create vision, execute strategy, and coach potential. Jen, Dr. Covey's second big book was called Principle-Centered Leadership. That was a big book and a big offering that we had for about a decade back in the late 80s and 90s. We transitioned then into what we called the four roles of leadership. And then we moved our way for about a decade into a, 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 an offering that really swept again the country and the nation by storm called Great Leaders. How do you build great teams? Jen, what is the connection between if you want to build great leaders, they've got to be focused on the teams as well. Well, 
a le- if you're, I think this is a John Maxwell quote, if you're a leader and nobody's following, you're just out for a walk, yeah. right? You have to be thinking about how, if, if you think of a leadership skill, you need to be able to think big about moving the organization forward. You need to be agile. That word gets used a lot, but it's the ability to say, okay, I thought this was the way to do it and I've got to think about the future, what's happening in my industry, what's happening that I need to adapt to. That agility and you have to be able to lead people through a vision they can tie to, something that they can see where we're going, a mission, why we're going there, and how to get there, how to execute against that, while at the same time making sure that you're uh, valuing and building leaders for the future. If, you're, if you think, I mean, we say all the time, leadership is a choice, not a position. I bet you know leaders, Scott, that have a position and you look at it and you think, that's not leading. Leading is a skill that can be learned. And uh, none of us are perfect. I'm a great student of it, but I mess up all the time. But it's something that you can learn and develop. And teams are every part of leadership because everybody's working on a team. I mean, very few people aren't involved in some team effort. And leaders have to be able to build and inspire trust on that team, which is the first essential role of leadership. We call it inspire trust. That came, of course, from Dr. Covey's eldest son, Stephen M. R. Covey, who's been a guest on this program. He wrote a book called The Speed of Trust, which is now the, you know, the leading authority book worldwide with CEOs and leaders around the role that trust plays in a winning culture. Jen, talk a bit about, talk to the leaders listening today. What is their role in inspiring trust in an organization, and why is that the first and perhaps even most important role? Well, one of the things that's critical um, in Stephen MR's work is he talks about and proves, in fact, that trust is a real business issue. If trust is low, cost is high, and speed is slowed to a snail's pace. And the opposite is true. If you cannot inspire trust and think of the leaders that you know, this could be outright fraud right? There could be true fraud breaking the law, but also it could just be, I don't think that person um, really means what they're saying. I think they're spinning it. I don't think they're continually building their capabilities. We're not getting the results we need. Low trust environments and the reason that's the first role are central to having an organization that just isn't creating an engaging place to work. It's really also about, you mentioned this, building credibility around your results, that you say and do the same thing, right? That you you actually deliver results. I, I was teaching the speed of trust solution, I don't know, a year and a half ago to a group, I think it was actually in Kansas City. And at the end of about a three-hour keynote session, I asked for people, what was their key learning? And you had the kind of that, you know, the common things here and there and such. And then, and then a, 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 a wise gentleman stood up very deliberately. I'll never forget what he said. He said, my key learning is that I need to behave myself into a reputation of credibility. I need to behave myself into a reputation of credibility. My sense is he probably was more credible than he thought he was, but he'd had some epiphany around perhaps people on his team or in his company weren't viewing him as being a credible deliverer of results. Because trust is not just about do you tell the truth and do you spin or gossip. It's about at the end of the quarter, have you delivered on your results? Have you delivered the profit or the customer retention? 
Have you delivered to your customers what you promised them? That's the essence of inspiring trust. Well, as we both know, if you're in a leadership role, the thing that will cause you to lose your job is not obtaining the results. The thing that helps you drive the results, particularly as you lead through other people, is you continually, uh, from a capability standpoint, improving yourself, looking at where the industry's going, looking to, at where the economy's going, look at what's coming next. And even deeper than that, we often use the, we use the metaphor of a tree. Even deeper than that, do people understand your intent? Are you clear at what your intent is? And I think we assess ourselves based on our intention and others just assess it based on behavior. I think it behooves more of us to express our intent. My intent here is this. You know, I was having a coaching session with one of my team members a few weeks ago, and I was talking with them about their engagement on a project and how people were very unclear. And I was trying to tell this person that people don't understand what you want, you know, you stop talking via text, stop talking on your phone in the car. You need to be face-to-face with people. It's, it's actually a challenge when you're not face-to-face. And they kept lamenting, but, but, but I said this, and I, it doesn't matter. If your team doesn't understand, then you're not explaining it clearly enough. You might have to use different words. You might have to get off the speakerphone and walk down to their office. There's some good old-fashioned responsibility around if you're going to inspire trust in people They have to understand both your intent and your technique and be very clear on what is it you want from me. We hear this a lot from clients, and I've obviously, I felt it myself. Um, It's a skill to be clear, concise, compelling, and confident, right? Clear, concise. And we talk about that as we we talk about the practicalities of where are we going and building a vision. But I... Even yesterday was praising one of my team members because their emails are so clear and concise. It's very difficult to misinterpret because you can tell every word was measured. And this individual said, when I said, you write the best emails in conflict situations when it has to be documented, right? And this person said, I just need to get better at doing it verbally. Hmm. I mean, that's that's great self-insight. You need to be able to build that skill there's yourself. A, there's a diplomacy and empathy that needs to take place even more so in the face-to-face In the meetings. face-to-face. Yeah. Jen, uh, our, our guest today is Jennifer Colosimo, Senior Vice President at Frank Covey, Franklin Covey, Lead Architect and Implementer of one of our new solutions, The Four Central Rules of Leadership. Simon & Schuster calls daily, and they want to know, where is the book? Jen, where is the book? You know, I've talked a lot about the potential of writing a book, and that's in the pipeline. You mentioned something I want to share, and it's, I think, Jen, the higher up you are in your career ladder, a lot of leaders complicate things with effusive language and multisyllabic words, and I have found there's almost an inverse correlation that the more senior you are in an organization, the more simple you need to speak and think not because the team members aren't smart or because they're not, you know, relevant, but we tend to sort of obfuscate vision and facts with complicated. We feel like we have to be smarter than we are. But aren't the best leaders the leaders that build trust because they're so confident and they're so humble, they can just talk straight, talk plain. <laughs> I am laughing because in that sentence you use the word 
Obstucate, obstucate <laughs> and multisyllabic. Okay, so I'm a hypocrite. What the heck? Oh my gosh, I'm laughing because I'm thinking, as you make your point, maybe you shouldn't use that word. <laughs> That's awesome. But you have an awesome vocabulary. It's a great coaching moment as, for me. As you know, See, I it's often- it's so natural for me. I often take your words and decide I will use that word going forward. I won't use those forward. words. No, I word, will. Um, to the point you were making- you, not, you, Hey, you just called me out my own, on my own radio program. <laughs> How bold. That's why you're a senior vice president, because you got courage, girl. (laughs) (laughs) And hopefully some humility in that I do think as people as people get to more senior roles, you have to be clear about what you're trying to convey and say it repeatedly. Think of your most admired CEOs or senior C-levels that you've worked with day in, day out. They stick to message and they stick to message typically with clear, concise, compelling words. Um, I, I, I think it behooves you once I have, I think I've told you this story before when, when my, my children were really young and, uh, they were, one was in kindergarten. She told her teacher what I did for a living was talk to myself in the mirror because I would be practicing saying things in a way that seemed compelling, clear, concise. Crack me up. Who talks in the mirror for a living? But <laughs> I, I think you continually have to work at it. My multisyllabic obfuscation has been called out on iHeartRadio. Our guest today is Jen Colosimo. We're going to break. When we come back, we're going to finish off these four essential roles of leadership with create vision, execute strategy, and coach potential. You're listening to Scott Miller, host of Great Life, Great Career, sponsored by the Franklin Covey Company. We'll be right back. This is Great Life, Great Career. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Scott Miller here today with Jennifer Colosimo, Franklin Covey Senior Vice President, 20-plus year veteran of the Franklin Covey Company. Jen has sold our solutions to clients. She's facilitated and consulted our solutions. She's led sales teams. She's developed and launched major products. And today she leads the majority of our worldwide sales and delivery force. If you're looking to build better leadership capability inside your organization, And you should be because leaders are the linchpin of your company. They are the transition point between your message and strategy being inspiring and florid or actually happening on the front line. Jen Colosimo is here today to share with us what are the four essential roles of leadership. She called me out in the first segment as I talked about how hard it is for leaders when they get to the top of their game, they tend to complicate things. They have, you know, longitudinal graphs on their slide decks, right? They just don't roll up their sleeves and talk straight because I used two words that annoyed her and she called me out, which I think is (laughs) awesome. It speaks to her credibility and my hypocrisy, but we're all, like she said, on a journey of learning. Jen, let's move to the second essential role of leadership. The first was inspired trust, right? Is that people need to, as leaders, declare their intent, not spin the facts, not politic. Make sure they deliver the results that they promise to their own leaders, to their clients, to their stakeholders. The second essential role of leadership is create vision. Now, that seems like it's fairly intuitive, but break that down for us. Why is it so important for leaders, I'm guessing not just to create vision, but to explain it in ways that everybody can translate it into their own job and behaviors. I think some of us have become a bit immune to the word vision. It gets used a lot. What's your vision? What's your mission? Let's be really simple here. Your vision is where are we going? 
Where are we going? With a mission being, why are we doing it? And when you think about where are we going, it needs to be something aspirational. Um, It can be measured. It links to why we exist. One of my favorite statements is, your team does not have a right to exist. And of course, every human being has a right to exist. That's not what we mean. But think about it for a minute. Your your business doesn't. Your business doesn't. Your, uh, Your division Whatever, if you're not for profit, your division, your group, your team doesn't have just some inherent right to exist. It needs to be accomplishing something related to that vision we're moving towards and that mission. And further, I think this is a way to really motivate uh, your team when they can see where we're trying to go and it ties into what they are motivated by, their customers, their capabilities, what's happening, and, and frankly, there's no mission without margin. So there's some bottom line there. You know, Jen, the four essential roles of leadership is Franklin Covey's two-day work session. Clients can, 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 can consume it, deliver it over the course of two days. They can break it up into three-hour modules. They can do it via virtual webinar, on conference calls, on Skype, you name it, right? It's super- On demand. On demand. It's really modality friendly. Part of the second essential role around creating vision is this whole kind of roll up your sleeves work session around developing your strategic narrative. That's a term we hear a lot. Why is it so important for every mid-level, first-level leader, that matter senior-level leader, to be able to communicate so clearly what is it we're doing, why are we in business, and what is our purpose? Why does everybody need to know that in the organization? Perhaps it's intuitive, but break it down for us. Well, Scott, just think about this, the difference between these two statements for a minute. I come into you and I say, Scott, we need to improve our patient satisfaction scores. And you're like, okay. Yeah, right. Right? (laughs) Next. (laughs) I mean, you may be motivated by that, and you likely are if you're a healthcare provider, which is the example I'm using. You're you're motivated by that. But I may not see my direct connection to that in my own behaviors. To the patient satisfaction scores, or we need to take out costs. Okay. Or, you know, we need to better communicate in the OR, right? We do. I've seen the need for that. Think of that and the difference in having a clear statement of why we're doing it, how it impacts what you motivate and what you're hoping to achieve and engages your best capabilities, right? So, Scott, one of the challenges we have is we're now uh, assessed outside by our patient satisfaction scores or HCAP scores. And we can influence this, and this is how it influences it. Patients will then see our scores and want to achieve care here. And you know how positive our care team is. I mean, I didn't, that's not one I had practiced. I wasn't looking in the mirror and practicing that one. But um, I, I think it's thinking about the why, the why behind the what makes so much difference to people. And if there's a strong enough why, people will do nearly any what. And if they're inspired by it and find meaning in it, again, they're gonna, they're not just gonna stay, but they're gonna be highly engaged. They're gonna choose a high level of engagement because they see the connection between what they're doing every day and the vision of the organization, the vision of their team. Right. In the example I provided, the comfort of your patient, the comfort of that family, the quality of care, things that you really, really care about, 
or if you're in sales, things that you really care about, your customers. Typically, salespeople really want to fulfill their promise to their customers. How does this help us fulfill that promise to our customers? Our guest today is Jennifer Colosimo, Senior Vice President of the Franklin Covey Company and one of the lead architects and implementers of our new leadership solution, The Four Essential Roles of Leadership. Jim, we've talked about inspire trust and create vision. And you and I both know and have met a lot of leaders that are very charismatic. They use multisyllabic words. <laughs> they have great PowerPoint presentations, right? They're very charismatic. They yes. have huge visions. We've met them in our own company. Mm -hmm. But they can't get anything done. At the end of the day, you know, you're mesmerized on stage with all of the longitudinal studies and such. But at the end of the day, either they haven't connected or it's too aspirational or it's too lofty. The next essential role is arguably where the rubber meets the road, execute strategy. What do you think has been your talent in this? Because I think you, on this one, although you can't speak apparently multi-slavic <laughs> words, or you just choose not to, you choose not to. No, she can, trust me. She can eviscerate you. I've been on the, I've been on the, I've been on the end of that one, people. Um, Jen are like brother and sister, but she's kind of my older sister, you know what I mean, by about three days. Or am I older than you, I think, maybe. You're older. I'm older, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Um, I make up my own narrative here. <laughs> Why do you think you've been able to develop the discipline of both being able to inspire trust, create a compelling vision, but Jen, you're quite excellent at getting it done. I mean, you didn't become the senior vice president of the company because you were just a great communicator. What are some things you've learned to adopt in your own leadership style around the importance of this third, fourth, third essential role? Execute strategy. Well, let me add the caveat. I mean, you're very kind, Scott, but I'm, I'm in a continuous, continuous improvement mode. I am. I don't think you can say I'm great at this because things change and you have to figure out something else. So thank you. Look, look at but our I'm, stock price. But I'm <laughs> so. feeling a little bit like, oh, dude, I'm not that good. <laughs> I'm feeling uh, more humble than that. And uh, But I am a great student of it. So I'll speak to the question. There's, there's a couple of things. I think some people lean so heavily to execution, meaning we, we talk about six rights and they include a variety of things, but I am going to fix that process. I am going to restructure. I am going to do, you know, I'm going, they lean so heavily to execution that you sort of feel beat down because the vision is missing. Jen, you mentioned the six rights. Part of this third essential role is this concept around getting these six rights right. People, structure, rewards, resources, decisions, and processes. You're actually quite great at all of those. Well, I appreciate it. I have worked, and of course, that is a, that is a tall tale. That is a, that is a big uh, charge for someone to get all of those core systems in line to execute on your strategy. And I think they work hand in hand. These are overlapping. If you want that to happen, the vision has to be there first. Right. I do lean. Because well, you could execute on a lot of things. You could execute on right? a lot People of things. People are really busy in every organization. Are they actually focusing their productivity on the top vision, top priorities that the leadership set out? Because a lot of strategy is choosing what you don't do, what you say no to. And I think... The six rights will never be perfect. This is continuous improvement. For all of you who work in continuous improvement constantly, as soon as you get one and you think it's awesome, then something goes off and you need to change it. 
Jen, expand on that because we hear so much about this, you know, on the on the leadership newsletter that I host for Franklin Covey called On Leadership, which, by the way, all of you can subscribe to. Visit franklincovey.com. Click on the On Leadership tab. It is now the world's largest leadership newsletter. We interview different guests every week. A common thing that most of these CEOs and authors say is the power of saying no. And Jen, you don't create popularity or a lot of affinity as a leader when you say no. In fact, I've heard you say you say no almost now reflexively because everyone's got great ideas, right? People are mm-hmm. reading, they're listening to podcasts and blogs, and they bring great ideas together. And you have demonstrated that as a leader, a, a significant part of your courage and stamina has to be saying no to exceptionally great ideas, perhaps even ideas that might be better than the one that you're working on. But you have aligned systems and you've created a vision around a really solid strategy and you know as well as anybody, a B strategy executed is better than an A strategy PowerPointed to death. Anything you've learned around the diplomacy and the stamina and checking your need to be liked as a leader to say, I'm sorry, that's a great idea, but we're not going to do this because remember, we are doing this. Kind of riff on how you've built that muscle, so to speak. I think that is one of the most difficult piece parts of being a leader. There's a lot that's difficult, which is why it's a choice, not a position. This one is extremely hard for me because as you pointed out, they are great ideas. I, if I think of the best ideas presented to me, which I solicit constantly, because you never know the one that's going to tip you to the next level. Uh, you don't want to be insulated. I'm always looking for a new idea. And There's so many that were presented to me, even as I think about the last three months. Great idea to the point you just made. I knew that in terms of processes, structure, systems, rewards, capabilities, capabilities right. right now. And when I say I knew, come on, I'm taking what I know in the world and making my best guess. Unfortunately or fortunately, I'm in the role that I'm charged with making that guess. So based on what I knew, I thought, that can't happen right now. And I try to explain why, but sometimes there's the why that you can't totally explain. It might be confidential information you know that other people don't know. So I I really think that is difficult because I've stared at people as I'm looking at you here in the studio that have just looked at me like, okay, well, you're a dum-dum. I don't know why you're not doing that, Jen. That is dumb, dumb, dumb. Well, I think one of the things you also do well, Jen, and I think I'm improving on this is, you know, giving appropriate context. Like you said, we might be acquiring another company who's better at that than we're ever going to be, or we're going to outsource that because part of my job is to reduce cost and increase customer retention. So there's lots of context that as a leader, you're not privileged to share. And like you said, every leader is just making bets. Oh yeah, you're making We're bets. all guessing. We're guessing as closely as we can on the data we have and the discipline and our knowledge base, right? But every leader enters a campaign with a very deliberate strategy And we know from Clayton Christensen's work and his writings in this great book, How Will You Measure Your Life, that 93% of all strategies that became successful ended up as emergent strategies, not deliberate strategies. It doesn't mean that you weren't right. It means that you learned things along the way, right? And you adopt new ideas. But I think you have shown extraordinary discipline and diplomatic Usually, I'm kidding. <laughs> D- you know, extraordinary. <laughs> I had a dog at some time on my on my vocabulary. I know. Uh, I think you have, Jen. You have been very inspiring on shutting down genius ideas 
by saying no to the greater idea that we already agreed upon. We funded this, we've trained around this, and if we get this done, the reward will be great for our clients, great for our shareholders, great for our organization. Well, and I think as you look at this role in the, in the four essential roles, part of what we do across the board, especially in the vision and strategy sections, is say, you know what you know, envision a circle, that's all everything you know, and your team and your peers and the people around you have ideas and concepts. And when you look at the Venn diagram of the two of those, that's where you get the strength. Uh, I, we recently were rolling out something at the end of our quarter, our fiscal year just ended. And a few of us had bounced it around. I was going, I'm take, I was taking the bet. The bet was going to happen. And what I always do is have some small sub, sub, subset. It might be my direct reports. It might be some other people that you bounce it off in confidentiality. Sure. And uh, there was one thing one of our team members said, you know, this, will, this part will create an unintended consequence. We could fix it by doing X. And I thought, genius, I'm so glad we rolled, We talked to them about it because it was so much better. So I think there's an, an intersecting Venn diagram. And then occasionally it is you on your own playing the odds. Right. Looking over the reports, leading Looking lag over measures, the reports. You know, yeah, placing your bets. Our discussion today is with Jennifer Colosimo, Franklin Covey Senior Vice President, 30-plus year veteran of the leadership industry, co-wrote a book with Dr. Stephen R. Covey, tutored under him for nearly 20 years. And our discussion is around Franklin Covey's four essential roles of leadership, our two-day leadership offering that can also be broken up into, like we said, every possible modality for virtual employees, live employees. They all break up into four individual modules. You can just teach one module as well. If you want to learn more about the four essential roles of leadership, visit franklincovey.com. Our website is, I think, the most robust resource globally around building capability in your leaders. The discussion with Jennifer today focuses on inspiring trust, create vision, execute strategy, and finally coach potential. Jen, let's use our last few minutes on talking around why is coaching potential so important as leaders? We, we hear all these adages around the annual for performance appraisal is a thing of the wayside. You don't ambush people. You're kind of coaching in real time now. You have a lot of leaders that are players as coaches. Share with us some of the lessons that you've learned and what we teach in this offering around the value of coaching potential by really making sure your leaders have those skills. Well, one of the major challenges leaders told us they were having in the workforce with the research we did with this offering was making the time to coach. So think about that in your own reference. Sometimes it's easier, even let's use a very simple one, teaching your child to do the laundry versus just doing the laundry yourself. Particularly if you have very high standards that the grass stains need to be out and it needs to smell a certain way and it needs to look a certain way. And now you're teaching this 10-year-old standing on a stool or eight-year-old to do it. In, in the workplace, there are so many similarities in that you likely, you may know how to do that extremely well. And there is an answer. And this coaching capability, what you're doing is you're developing future leaders. You're helping them tap into the capabilities they have, the experiences they've had, what they could do by asking insightful questions. 
really investing your time on insightful questions where they come to the answer themselves. Listening to understand and not to solve all the time. Um, acknowledging their capability. And really, we have a framework for coaching where we're teaching people how to effectively have on-the-spot coaching conversations with people. In fact, Jen, you and I are both enormously passionate about this particular role because a big portion of the teach in this work session is around providing feedback that we both know it is absolutely incumbent Income, that was three words, three syllables, I'm sorry. It's imperative. I got to work it down. It's required that every leader give high courage feedback to their employees in ways that are also diplomatic and considerate, right? We've all met the leader that just eviscerates people and constantly says what's on their on their mind. And then you you damage someone's self-esteem. You, you, you hurt their self-confidence. On the opposite end is the leader where they're so mortified to talk about anything that might upset someone or make their stomach, you know, kind of rumble. There's that sweet spot of teaching leaders to coach in ways that both give redirecting feedback, give reinforcing feedback, because we know some of our best leaders are those that have the courage to sit us down and say, here are your blind spots, Miller, and these are killing you. And in the moment, it may be a bit of an ego enema for us, but we look back and say, that was the best leader I ever had that not just coached my potential, but really talked about what I'm doing that to quote you, wackadoodle. <laughs> I love, see, my words are very simple. <laughs> Things like wackadoodle, my team would say I overuse the word kooky. <laughs> um, well, you're tapping into two things. First, feedback approach. And we need positive and instructive. That positive needs to be just as specific as the instructive. So when you, when you wrote that email that was so positive in a difficult situation, I know you helped build our culture is very different than great job, right? Right, be specific. Be specific. Both behavior, time, impact. scenario, right. impact, right. And uh, I think really you need to build up, we call it an emotional bank account, but you need when someone does something positive, tell them because you need that emotional bank account so that you can feel very confident that you say, and when you did X, the impact was Y. Jen, I think your ability to speak with plain language is so resonant with all of our audience today on the radio program. How's that? <laughs> thank you. <laughs> That's specific, right? I actually right? am smiling. That yeah, was very excellent. specific. Jen Colosimo, thank you for joining us today. Great conversation. Uh, Simon & Schuster, the publisher, keeps calling, wanting to know, where is the book on the four essential roles of leadership? We're actually in great debate right now around uh, how to write that book. Should we write that book? But there's no question if and when that book is finished. Jen Colosimo will be a lead author on that book. I look forward to be parting that part of that process. Jen, thanks for joining us today on Great Life, Great Career. I appreciate you, Scott. Thank you for having me. We'll be right back with uh, introduction of our next guest. Thanks for listening to Scott Miller, host of Great Life, Great Career. We'll be back to announce next week's guest. Want to stay current on emerging leadership trends and best practices? Subscribe now to Franklin Covey's free weekly leadership newsletter by visiting franklincovey.com and clicking the On Leadership button. With On Leadership, you'll watch, hear, and read engaging interviews and insight from today's world-renowned thought leaders, best-selling authors, and accomplished business leaders. Find the On Leadership podcast on your favorite podcast provider and register for the full newsletter at franklincovey.com. Welcome back, everybody. Man, that was a practical conversation 
Jennifer Colosimo, Franklin Covey's senior vice president who owns virtually all of our sales and delivery consulting client outcomes worldwide, been with our firm for 30 years. The four essential roles of leadership, inspire trust, create vision, execute strategy, and coach potential. Jennifer Colosimo, thank you for your time today. You aren't just an author. You're not just a consultant. You are a leader of several thousand people inside of our firm worldwide, and you have to implement these four roles. You struggle with them. You succeed at them. I appreciate your time joining us today, Jennifer Colosimo. When we opened, I also mentioned Franklin Covey's next book is launching on October 8th, Everyone Deserves a Great Manager, The Six Critical Practices for Leading a Team on Sale Now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, BooksAmillion.com, will be in all the bookstores. I am privileged to be one of the three authors of that book. You can visit the website, everyonedeservesagreatmanager.com, officially the largest domain name in the history of books. Everyonedeservesagreatmanager.com to learn more about how mid-level and first-level leaders in your organization can become excellent at these six critical practices. Things like developing a leader's mindset, holding regular one-on-one meetings, providing feedback, living a balanced life, you know, managing and thriving through change. It's an excellent book. The three authors admit all of our leadership foibles. We talk quite transparently, transparently around our own struggles. We're crisscrossing the nation the week of October 8th to give keynote speeches and on, be on radio programs. I hope you'll look at picking up a copy today. You can pre-order it now on Amazon. Everyone deserves a great manager. Our guest next week will be one of the two presidents of Franklin Covey, Paul Walker, a 20-year associate in the firm. Talk about an amazing career journey. Paul started, gosh, back I think maybe in 2000 as a frontline salesperson on the phone. I think the role was called inside business partner, supporting a salesperson, became a salesperson, sales manager, sales leader, executive vice president, now is the president of our firm, literally from the front line, most junior person in the firm to now the president of worldwide sales. Paul Walker will be here to talk about all of his life lessons around building a high-performing sales culture. All the lead and lag measures, all the behaviors, the disciplines, the lessons he's learned, the things he's gotten right, how he's worked with clients around the globe to ensure that sales leaders, sales people build a high performance sales culture. If you are any way tied to sales, and if you work, you are, you won't want to miss next week's conversation with Paul Walker. You've been listening to Great Life, Great Career. I'm your host, Scott Miller. We'll see you next week. <music>